Father, thank you for the, the privilege of being able to be with brothers and sisters in Christ and to come and consider the Word of God. Father, this is not our Word, this is your Word, this is your revelation to us. It is without error. Father, you've caused men of God to write down these Scriptures as they were moved by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Scripture is God-breathed, it's without error, it's profitable for teaching and reproof. For correction and for training in righteousness. Father, may it work that work in us today by your Spirit. Give us humble, open hearts to your truth. Father, teach us that we might live in a way that honours our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you have got that handout, you will notice that we are shifting gears from sorrow to joy. From sorrow to joy. Uh, we've been considering uh, God's people in sorrow, in trouble. We've highlighted the book of Lamentations. And now we're going to focus on the place of joy in the life of God's people. Um, as I say in the notes, as a pastor, I must continually keep in mind lots of things. Uh, I must continually keep in mind that we're to do all for the glory of God. I must continue to keep in mind that we've got to preach the word. And one of the other things I've got to continually keep in mind is 2 Corinthians 1.24. Are you familiar with 2 Corinthians 1.24? Let me give you that verse. Paul says, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it, because it is by faith you stand firm. I, I love that perspective. So as a pastor, as a preacher, I've got to preach the word, 2 Timothy 4.2. I've got to seek to do all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10.31. I've got to watch out over the souls of people as someone who has to give an account, Hebrews 13.17. But I also have to be a worker with people for their joy. Paul said to the people in Corinth that he didn't lord it over their faith. He was an apostle, but he didn't lord it over them. He said, rather we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. So as I engage with people in our congregation, as I stand to preach, as we do Bible studies, as we talk one-on-one, I'm thinking I'm working with these brothers and sisters for their joy. It's got to be a major part of what I'm thinking about and considering. So I've got to continually keep that in mind. So... In the light of that, I want to talk about three things. Uh, They're mainly from the book of Philippians, but I want to talk about these three things. One is the the Christian's duty, the Christian's duty of constant rejoicing. The Christian's duty of constant rejoicing. Then I want to talk about what the nature of Christian joy is. And then thirdly, I want to look at the testimony of the joyful Christian. So there's the three things, Lord willing, we will touch upon. Now, Paul said this. You're familiar with Philippians 4, 4. Let's turn there. Uh, He actually said a similar thing in many different places. In fact, if you read his epistles to the Romans, to the Galatians, to the Philippians, to the Thessalonians, and to the Corinthians, uh, he tells them all the same thing. Uh, In Rome, he tells them that the kingdom of God 
is a kingdom of joy. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of joy. That's Romans 14.17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, joy, in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is the kingdom of righteousness and the kingdom of joy of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, he tells them that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and it continues on with the other vital fruit of the Spirit there. So he highlights joy to them. To the Thessalonians, he says in verse uh, chapter 5, verse 27, I think it is. No, verse 19. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. And to the Corinthians, he tells them that he's really afflicted and he's burdened, he despairs of life, he's received the sentence of death. Nevertheless, he urges them to show in their lives joy, even in the midst of afflictions, hardships, calamities and beatings. And here in Philippians 4, we have this classic verse which you would undoubtedly all know and be very familiar with. So in Philippians 4 verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia, and I entreat... Imagine this being read out to the church of Philippi. So here's the church of Philippi, you're reading out to the church, and uh, here's Paul's letter, here's the Apostle's letter, and you're reading out when you get to chapter 4, I entreat Euodia and Syntyche, who were women in that congregation. Okay? Uh, Their ears would have immediately pricked up, he's he's talking to us, he's talking about us, I entreat Euodia, I entreat Syntyche, and he put this in his letter, which was to be read to the church, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So these were Christian women, they were useful, fruitful Christian women, they'd worked together with, with Paul, they'd been part of the church in a living way, but they were like this together at the moment. Euodia and Syntyche did not agree in the Lord. And then having addressed that very personal responsibility to these two women in the congregation, he says, Rejoice! Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, in case you'd missed it the first time, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Now, he's pressing upon them a command, isn't he? This is not a nice piece of advice of when you feel like it, rejoice, or if you're in the mood, rejoice, or if you're a glass half full kind of person, rejoice. This is rejoice, people of God, people of God in Philippi, the saints of God in that church. Here is a command. He is even more emphatic here. It's an exhortation. It's an imperative. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Can I say from that verse that it's a duty for every believer to constantly rejoice? Yeah, I can, and I am. Uh, It's there, and it's in those other passages as well I briefly touched upon. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. 
it presses on me and it presses on you the duty of constant rejoicing. Uh, For a Philippian believer to be sitting there on that day or afterwards and having heard what the Apostle Paul wrote to them, for a Philippian believer or for you or for me to hear this and ignore it, what's that called? Disobedience. (laughs) It's called rebellion. To refuse to rejoice always is to disregard the word of the living God. Is that fair enough? To refuse to rejoice always, we've got to understand what that means, but to refuse to rejoice always is to disregard the word of the living God. Joy is, if it was a car part, it's not an optional extra. I mean, it's, it's something essential to the car. It's like the, the engine, it's like the wheels. You can't, the car can't go, the car can't move, the car, car can't be a useful car unless it has those things. It's not an optional extra, like the little button I press on my mother-in-law's car which makes the seat go up and down, well that's nice. Or the heated seat button which I never use, but they're all these sort of optional extras, but it's none of that, it's, it's something essential, it's integral to true Christianity, isn't it? Uh, Joy is integral to true Christianity. So please note here, this is one of the basics that Paul gave himself to in his relationship with the Philippians. He says earlier in in the book, it's not an optional extra. Uh, Note that the duty here is not rejoice in the Lord occasionally. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord when you're really moved. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. It's not occasional rejoicing, it's constant rejoicing. And that was 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. I think I quoted the wrong verse. I said 19 before. 5, 16. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. And here, rejoice in the Lord always. So this duty being expected of us constantly is obviously independent of circumstances. If we're expected to rejoice always... We're expected to rejoice regardless of our circumstances. Whatever they are, we're expected to rejoice always. In Acts 16, 23 to 25, uh, Paul first came to Philippi. And now he's writing from prison uh, with an uncertain future to the brethren there in Philippi. And he tells them, writing from prison, rejoice always. Rejoice, rejoice always, not only you, but I also should do this as a believer, as an apostle, rejoice always. Even though his future in some ways was uncertain, and their future in some ways was uncertain, he urges them to constant rejoicing. Uh, the Philippians, he tells them in chapter 2, uh, serve, to serve the Lord in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That's an interesting description of life in Philippi, but I think it's also an equally valid description of life in our society, isn't it? Uh, We serve God, we know God, we follow God in the midst of a crooked, it's not straight, it's bent uh, generation, a crooked and perverse generation, and they're called to this joy even though their society is way offline and their culture is way offline with the Word of God, yet they're called to rejoice always. So, Here is believers everywhere. If we went to James chapter 1, we would see James saying to the brethren, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet 
various trials or multicolored trials, trials of all different shapes and sizes. When you meet those trials, rejoice. Or Habakkuk, however you pronounce it, chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, though the fig tree did not blossom, nor there be no fruit on the vine, the vol- the what is thank you. Olive fail, yes, and there be no herd, I should have read it out, and there be no herd in the stall, yeah, the produce of the olive fail, there be no herd in the fo- stall, yet will I rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. So this is not rejoice in great circumstances, rejoice when things are going well, this is rejoice always, regardless of circumstances, regardless of personality. Uh, I love reading, as I've already mentioned, church history. Uh, I've read of the gospel coming to lots of different countries. I remember once reading about uh, the gospel in Russia, and particularly reading about a Russian woman who was put in prison for her faith. She was in that prison in Siberia uh, for a year, and then she was finally released. Uh, She endured cold She endured, obviously, loneliness, uh, separation from her family and friends, uh, fellow believers. She endured brutality. Looking back on that year in the Siberian prison, this Christian woman described that year as, quote, her year of joy, my year of joy. Even in a horrific prison circumstance in Siberia, where you were barely surviving, That was a year of joy. Why? Because she knew the nearness of God in that prison cell. Despite all the deprivation, despite the terrible circumstances, she knew the closeness of Christ. So here, the command is not in Philippians 4.4, feel happy, is it? That's a hard command to give and it's an even harder command to keep. I can't say feel happy. That's a ridiculous command. Uh, uh, but I can say, and Paul does say, rejoice in the Lord. And then good old commentator, Puritan commentator Matthew Henry said this, there is enough joy in God, please listen, there is enough joy in God to furnish us with joy in the worst circumstances on earth. There is enough in God to furnish us with joy in the worst circumstances on earth. So don't, please don't say, I can't rejoice today because you don't know what's going on in my life or you don't know the, the trouble that I have or the circumstances I'm in. My circumstances are so tough or so negative, I cannot possibly rejoice. Well, you're arguing with Paul and you're also arguing with Paul's Lord who says in various places, rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, Luke 6.46, uh, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Very good question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? One of the things the Lord says is, through his word, rejoice in the Lord always. So if you're calling him Lord and yet refusing to rejoice in the Lord always, Jesus says, do you really know me? If you're not following through and coming, I'm not saying it's easy every day. I'm not saying there's no difficulties, but I am saying this is a command and a duty of constant rejoicing.
Number two, just want to explore a little bit with you if this is a duty you and I have, and you and I have today and every day, what's the nature of Christian joy? What, what is Christian joy? Now, I don't know whether you're temperamentally a glass half empty person or a glass half full person. We all have different personalities, different ways of uh, processing things and responding to things. Um, by nature, the way God's put me together, I'm a happy person. Okay, I'm a, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I have good friends who are glass half empty and almost glass nothing in the glass <laughs> type guys. So we, we have a variety of personalities, and a, but I'm, I'm a glass half full guy. And when I went prac teaching as a, as a young Christian, I was sent off to a, a big high school in the inner suburbs of Sydney. And I was there for a few, it was a horrific experience. Uh, uh, the first class, so I couldn't control them. I uh, had to learn a lot of things. I was thrown in the middle. I was supposed to be a history teacher. I was thrown in the middle of an Asian studies class. I was given the, the task of teaching them about the rivers of China, which I knew zero about. I'd given, I'd been given no notice. I was in that place and uh, oh, the class really went off in every way. I had kids throwing things out the window. It was, <laughs> and I thought, do I really want to teach? And I thought, yeah, probably, but uh, we, we pressed on. But in, the, in that school over the, I think it was four or five weeks I was there, I got a nickname in the school. And I don't know how I got the nickname, or, and I know kids can be cruel with nicknames, but the nickname I got in that school was Smiley. I don't know. And, and I got it because I was smiling all the time. I wasn't smiling all the time because I enjoyed the teaching experience. But I think I, whether I thought about it consciously or not, I was smiling because I, I loved the Lord. And I was with the Lord in those circumstances. And uh, I managed to pass that prac period and go on okay. Uh, another friend of mine was teaching at that same experience and she went out several days in tears, made to cry by her class, and she got an excellence for her teaching performance over that time, so who knows. But that, that was me in that situation. A little bit later on, I was at the university and working in the university library at Sydney, and a student, a postgraduate student, still remember his name, Pradeep Malhotra, came up to me and Pradeep said to me, so I've been watching you over the, the last months, why are you always smiling? <laughs> and I said, Pradeep, I'm always smiling because I know the Lord. And despite whatever the circumstances going on in, the, in my workplace or whatever, that's why I'm happy. I, I've got an internal happiness and joy that comes from the Lord. And that was a wonderful opportunity with Pradeep over a long period of time. We ended up sh sharing around the scriptures for several well, months at least. So that's how I come from. But I'm not talking personality, okay? I'm not talking inclination. I'm talking about the duty of Christian joy, which I'm saying, whatever type of guy or girl you are, this is a command. This is a duty that you have. And, but the duty is not feel happy. Uh, the duty is rejoice in the Lord. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, let me give you a few things. Firstly, it means that true joy, 
true joy is only found in God. Okay, to rejoice in the Lord. True joy, if you want to have true joy, there can be lots of happy people who aren't believers. I'm related to a lot of them. Uh, But true joy, this kind of joy, is rejoicing in the Lord. So it centers on knowing the Lord as your Savior. I mean, it's all those wonderful parables that Jesus tells, you know, the treasure hidden in the field. And finding the treasure hidden in the field, the guy goes and sells everything he has. Why? Because of the joy he's got in finding this incredible treasure in the field. So he sells everything to get that treasure. And there's many more things. There's the, the parables of the lost coin and the lost son, the prodigal son. They all have joy in them because someone's found what really matters and found true joy in Christ. So true joy is found in the Lord. For a life of true joy is salvation. Um, what were the last recorded words of Moses? Now, I didn't even know that off the top of my head, but what were the, you may, what were the last recorded words of Moses? Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 29. What we find here is an expression of what I'm talking about. Deuteronomy 33 verse 29. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. Should that make you joyful? You're unique. You're not unique because of you. You're unique because of God's grace to you. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you and you shall tread upon their backs. That's what set them apart as God's people. They were God's people saved by the Lord, redeemed by the Lord. Now, if we are genuinely redeemed and saved by the Lord, that's at the heart of our joy, isn't it? That doesn't change. You may not feel particularly saved tomorrow, but if you are a Christian, you are saved tomorrow. Uh, as as one of the verses last night, Philippians 1.6, that was used, wasn't it? The work of God's begun in you, he will bring to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So this is joy in the Lord is joy found in God. I love also Philippians, sorry, Philippians, Psalm 4. Psalm 4 and verses 6 and 7, which is a kind of comparison of our joy in Christ or in the Lord uh, with the joy of those around us. Psalm 4, verses 6 and 7. There are many who say, who will show us some good. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. And verse 7, you have put more joy, that's the comparative, you've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So here is the person who doesn't know the Lord. And everything's going well for them. Now Psalm 73 is also a reflection on this. But everything's going well for them. Their grain is abounding. Their crop has come in. It's the best crop ever. Their wine is abounding. The harvest has been brought in. Everything is wonderful. This is the top of what they could expect. This is the top of what they could desire. And he says, you put more joy 
more joy in my heart than they have, even on their best days, even on their glory days, when things are going really, really, really well for them, I've got more, more joy in my heart because my joy is in the Lord. Spurgeon said this, Beloved, you who are in Christ are favoured by God beyond all others. None in the whole universe are so happily placed as you are. Do you believe that? In Christ, that is true. Beloved, he said, you are in Christ, are favoured by God beyond all others. None in the whole universe are so happily placed as you are. Uh, a Scottish pastor of another generation, Lachlan Mackenzie, that's a great Scottish name, said, the happy man, he had a sermon on the happy man, he said, the happy man was born in the city of regeneration. Uh, so where does happiness start? The new birth, regeneration, God working in the heart, being born again from the above. The happy man was born in the city of regeneration. So we're talking about rejoice in the Lord always. Number one, that means our true joy is found only in God. But also it means, secondly, that your joy is therefore going to be cultivated. It's best going to be cultivated and developed in relationship with the Lord, isn't it? If the source of your joy is the Lord, then you cultivate your joy by being with the Lord, by being in the Lord's word, by crying out to the Lord, by seeking to live day by day for the glory of God. This joy is cultivated in relationship with the joy. Now here's an obscure reference. Um, who here has heard of the Christian of a previous generation called Billy Bray? One, two, good. Three? Oh yes, got that one? <laughs> okay. Billy Bray was a, a Christian coal miner uh, in Cornwall, or tin miner actually, in Cornwall. And uh, he worked, his day was spent in the mines, obviously. Uh, he'd been converted from a really rough and immoral background, brought to faith in Christ, established in Christ, established in the church, and he was an irrepressibly joyful guy. Uh, they used to say if you put Billy Bray in a barrel, he would poke out the bunghole of the barrel and shout, Hallelujah! out of the barrel. Uh, you couldn't stop him, you couldn't tread him down, you couldn't squash him. And Billy Bray said this, he's known as a happy man. He said, my best friend is the dear Lord. My best friend is the dear Lord. He has made me glad and no one can make me sad. That's simple. That's great, isn't it? My best friend, can you say that? My best friend is the dear Lord. He has made me glad and no one can make me sad. So we cultivate this joy in the Lord by being with the Lord. It's a, it's a central feature of our life as believers. One other aspect of re rejoicing in the Lord is this. True joy or happiness is not just feeling good because things are going my way. Joy has to do with facts and realities. We've sung again already at this camp, it is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul because things are going well today? Uh, or is it well with your soul because of Christ? It is well with your soul through Christ. 
Through Christ you are forgiven. Through Christ you are saved. Through Christ you are assured of heaven. I'm going to give a bit of my testimony, I think, tonight around the fire pit or whatever the alternative is. Uh, But I was saved out of a totally non-Christian background. Uh, My mum is not a believer. My dad is not a believer. When I came to faith in Christ, the only other believer in my family was one cousin uh, who went off to be a missionary in Papua New Guinea. Um, That's the only other Christian I, I knew. When I was a teenager, he took me, out, took me to a Christian camp, which was a sailing camp, and I learned how to sail a bit on a lake, uh, which was great fun. And they tried to teach me the Bible in Bible studies. I would have none of it. <laughs> I, I listened sort of politely, but I just went in one ear and out the other. I wasn't taking in anything that was said to me at that camp. I then went home, and the, the guy who was my leader at the camp... Uh, very kindly wrote to me. He was trying to encourage me in Christ, or to Christ, encourage me in the Bible. Um, I took the letter to my dad, and my dad said, oh, this is rubbish, as I knew he would. And so my dad helped me draft the letter uh, to this man from the camp saying, please never write to me again. I'm not interested. Uh, that, that would have been a hard letter for that guy to receive, but that was my family. You know, z- zero Christianity anywhere. And joy has come to me through Christ. Uh, and joy has come to you, if you're a believer here, through Christ. And joy is nurtured through Christ. And, and it has to do with not circumstances, but facts or realities. It's well with my soul because of Christ. Christ has come, and we've been around the Lord's table today already. Christ has died. He's risen, ascended to the right hand of the Father. Christ is coming again. Those facts are the bedrock of my joy. If you could take that away, my joy would be gone. But you can't take that away because they're undeniable facts. These are things God has done. These gospel facts, as they're appreciated, as they're appropriated, as they're applied, uh, the believer rejoices. Our, Our faith and happiness is is deep and it's lasting because it has to do with an unchanging God and with a sure salvation. So here in Philippians 4, after briefly surveying Paul's world and his life and his circumstances, he has at the end this rejoice in the Lord always. A man called John Gwynne Thomas, a good Welsh name, said, So how does he rejoice? And he says this, the answer is, how Paul rejoices in Philippians 4, the answer is that he kept his eyes on the unchangeables. (laughs) That's how we rejoice, not fixing our eyes on the changeable things, which is a lot of the stuff around us, but fixing our eyes on the unchangeables. God cannot change. The blood of Christ never loses its power. The Holy Spirit can never be taken away from us, even though at times we may grieve him, but he can't be taken from us. So these unchangeables are the foundation of our life. So that's a little bit about what rejoice in the Lord means. Um, Finally, I want to touch upon the testimony of a joyful Christian. If you, by grace, uh, through God's word, by the work of his spirit, are living that life of true joy, not a perfect life of joy, because we all fail in many ways, but if you are living a life of true joy by the grace of God, 
what kind of impact does that make? And my point here is it makes a huge impact. I mean, if you're a, a mean, grumpy, nasty Christian trying to share the gospel with a friend, what kind of impact does that make? Yuck. You know, that's, that's sort of terrible. If you're saying, Christ is the way, Christ is the truth, Christ is the life, and then look at my life and I'm miserable and I'm grumpy and I'm the meanest person you know, there's no commending Christ there, is there? It's at least on muddying the waters and making things very, very confusing. But if the joy of the Lord, if the salvation of the Lord has really gripped my soul and I'm rejoicing in the Lord always, it's like a shining light, isn't it? In a dark place. So you might be in a very rough work circumstance and you're shoulder to shoulder with other people and it's a hard place for them and it's a hard place for you, but you're different because you know the Lord and you're rejoicing in the Lord and that can be a, a real keystone to your witness, can't it? You not only know the Lord, but you're showing you know the Lord, not by fake stuff, not by plastic pretending, but by the real joy that God's worked in your heart. So I ask the question, uh, does your life well represent the gospel we preach? Does your life well represent the gospel we preach? What's the gospel we preach? Was well, described in Luke 2.10 as good news of great joy. Is, is your life a good representation of the good news of great joy that you've received? Now we live in a world of great sorrows, don't we? There's sin, there's death, there's strife, there's war, there's sickness... Uh, we live also in a world of false joys, uh, secular and spiritual false joys, which are kind of plastic and don't really last. They're brittle. They don't endure. We also live in a world of fleeting happiness, where people get something that they want and they're happy for a moment, and then it's gone. And we live in this world of great sorrows, false joys, and fleeting happiness. And in a place like that, in a place like our world, a truly happy believer speaks loud and clear to the world in which we live. Uh, let me give you a couple of quotes in, in closing. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. This is from his book, Spiritual Depression, which has got a lot of joy in it. But it's his book, Spiritual Depression. He's dealing with some of the tough stuff that we face. He said this, In a sense, listen to what he says, In a sense, a joyless Christian is a contradiction in terms. In a sense, that doesn't mean we can never have down days or rough days, but in a sense, a joyless Christian is a contradiction in terms and is a very poor recommendation for the gospel. He then went on to say, nothing is more important than that we should be delivered from a condition which gives other people looking at us the impression that to be a Christian means to be unhappy, to be sad, to be morbid. Come to Christ, be miserable with me. You know, it's, it's not meant to be like that. Yes, come to Christ, you can go through miserable circumstances, but in the joy of the Lord. Uh, Thomas Watson, the Puritan, put it this way. I think I've got it in the notes there. We, we glorify God by walking cheerfully. We do. We glorify God by walking cheerfully. 
It brings glory to God when the world sees a Christian that has within him that that can make him cheerful in the worst times. The people of God have reason for cheerfulness. They are justified, they're adopted, and this creates inward peace. It makes music within, whatever storms are without. A Christian's cheerful looks glorify God. Religion does not take away our joy, but refines it. So it's not about what we lost when we came to Christ, or what it cost us, and it did cost us things when we came to Christ, but it refines our joy, it perfects our joy, said Thomas Watson. <clears throat> Last quote for us from our Cornish tin miner, Billy Bray. He said this, and he said this, this is a recorded uh, prayer of his. He's about to go down into the tin mines, and mining is often a very dangerous occupation, but he's about to go down the, the mines in the 1800s, and that, that could be a death sentence at times. He's about to go down there, and this is what he prayed out loud, and it was recorded, uh, to some of the, the guys in his gang who were going down into the mine. He said this, Lord, he's a tremendous guy, <laughs> Lord, if any of us must be killed... Or die today, let it be me. Lord, if any of us must be killed or die today, let it be me. Let not one of these men die, for they are not happy. But I am, and if I die today, I shall go to heaven. I love Billy Bray. Uh, it's a tremendous thing to say, and that's the witness of a joyful Christian. There's the duty of joy. It's joy in the Lord, not in circumstances. But this is where we're heading. So I'll end this way with the help of God's spirit. May we encourage one another to develop a, a true and abiding joy in the Lord. Let's work out our joy and work out our salvation in this vital area. Uh, Spurgeon put it this way. Think for a moment, Christian. Think for a moment. He said, chide yourself, which sort of tell yourself off. Chide yourself into a more joyful frame of mind. Don't just sit there miserable or dull. Talk yourself, in, you know, not talk yourself falsely into it, but remind yourself of the God, the God we serve. Remind yourself of your Saviour. Remind yourself of salvation. Chide yourself into a more joyful frame of mind. Well, may God help us do that for His glory. Thanks.